0: Welcome to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you build the wealth and lifestyle you deserve. My name is Nicholas Jensen, bringing you the secrets behind the relationships, strategies, and mindset of the most successful people on the planet. Showing you how to collapse timeframes in order to win at business, money, and the adventures of life. You don't
1: know what you don't know, so I'm here to show how the wealthy live, think, and make their money grow. It's time to live the life that you deserve. I'm here to help.
0: My my name is Nicholas Jensen, And, and this is Unlimited Wealth. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast. My name is Nicholas Jensen. I'm super excited for uh, my guest today. Mr. Mike Watts is the CEO and founder of lovehandles.com. He's a successful entrepreneur, has started three different companies, has over $50 million in retail sales, and he's going to talk to us about the, the struggles he's gone through, some of his biggest wins, and some of the things that we can do as entrepreneurs to drive our success. So thank you for joining me, Mike. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Real honor. I'm super excited to get to get into this uh, conversation. So maybe first off, just to introduce you to my audience, do you mind telling us about your background? What what it is that got you started in, on, in the entrepreneurial space and kind of where you're at today?
1: Yeah, I'd be glad to. You know, I I feel like I've, I've got some of that entrepreneurial blood that most of your listeners probably have feeling, you know, they have that feeling of coursing through their veins. And, you know, all the way back to when I was in middle school selling, you know, buying wholesale candy at Sam's Club and flipping it for profits in the lunchroom. Uh, And, you know, and then later on in high school, I uh, I had some side businesses going, cutting lawns in the neighborhood and uh, selling a variety of things. And then going through college, I just started working in a lot of different jobs. And I've enjoyed kind of hopping around because I I love business. And so i like to see how different businesses were run and different ways to make money. But then when I got out of college and went into the typical nine to five was doing what, uh, you know, the world tells you you're supposed to do and cashing my, uh, my W2s and turning those in and, uh, just following the traditional path. It was just very unfulfilling to me. I had my cubicle in downtown Houston and around the year 2000, everything changed for me when my wife and I had our first son and, uh, You know, she actually at the same time bought me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which you and a lot of your listeners probably know about. It's a great book. And it really changed my mindset about how income works and and, and how I could uh, acquire wealth. And so we started working immediately on that idea and we started doing some side hustles. Uh, We were just trying to find products we could buy wholesale and then uh, package up or change and then sell at some sort of consumer show. So in, you know in Houston there's a lot of shows that come through mostly home and garden shows is where we made our way and we started figuring out what products would sell wouldn't sell and uh, kind of went through this whole process and journey and then eventually found some products that we could license that had intellectual property tied to them and so that we could protect the market and then started to work with inventors to uh, to bring ideas to market let the inventor do what they do great and then take those and hopefully become household names. And we were blessed to be able to do it, uh, you know, three times in a row now with multi-million dollar startups with inventions and have made both the inventors, um, you know, financially wealthy and, and ourselves as well. And and really, I, we're not in it for the money. I really do love the game and, and taking ideas that are, you know, products that are solution oriented, bringing them to market and then watching consumers get value out of it. Uh, our very first product was called the Pivotrim, which was a, well, our first patented product called is an aftermarket weed eater head. So anybody that's ever cut their grass knows that frustration of winding the line on and feeding it out. Well, we had developed yeah. the, the world's best weed eater head and uh, we took it to market, got it into Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot. And just two days ago, I was down at, we have a vacation rental property and I was leaving there, checking on the place and the, and the guy next to And the house next door was cutting the grass, and sure enough, he had our product on the end of his weed eater head. So even though we sold that company many years ago, the product's still out there doing great. And so uh, I just love that. Like that gives me excitement to to see a product like work in real people's lives, and then make make it better, and then it you know carries on even after I'm not involved anymore.
0: Some of the things that, uh, that I love about your story is, one, being able to partner up with these individuals that are inventors, if you will, right? You, you do what you do best, you let them do what they do best, and you're able to kind of commingle your skills in order to perpetuate the, you know, these products forward. It's interesting, as you talk about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's amazing to me how much influence Robert Kiyosaki has had on uh, the industry, right? Just from that little book. I had the opportunity to meet Robert. Uh, actually, I went on a cruise with him uh, with a bunch of other investors several years ago. It's probably four, four, maybe, maybe five years ago. Um, really cool guy. Super abrasive. He's <laughs> <super, laughs> like, "This is the way it is." In fact, in fact, we did a uh, a study group with him, and we studied. Uh, I can't remember the exact articles. One was on gold, and then the other one was. Uh, I can't remember what the other one was, but man. And so he led this discussion group and just to see the way that he thinks. Right. Was interesting because it kind of gave me some perspective on, on his book and multiple books. Right. So when you talk about your entrepreneurial journey, that kind of being the catalyst that started you in that, in that direction. So many people have that same story with, with the purple book, but have gone in so many different directions. I mean, you being able to bring products to market, a lot of individuals, go down the, the real estate investment route or, or starting their, their own business, doing something else. So so that's amazing. Talk, talk to us a little bit about, as you've worked with other inventors and brought products to market, surely that's not a smooth process. Right. There had to be bumps in the road. There had to be some struggles to overcome. And I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we think, or we feel like we're the only ones that are facing this. <laughs> you, you compare your current story to somebody else's end story. And you're like, surely they've never had to go through this, but that's not the case. Tell us some of the, the struggles that you've had to go through and, and overcome in this journey.
1: Well, there are you know, countless stories, honestly. <laughs> Nick. It's, they go on and on. But if, if I think back to maybe just the very beginning, we'll take the very first license deal. And I'd never done one of these before. So the first challenge was, what even is a licensing contract? What does it even look like? And so, and neither me nor the inventor knew anything about it. We just knew that we kind of had a gentleman's agreement that we would pay him a percentage of sales and we would take over. But, you know, there would be some minimum per year to, you know, kind of balance out the risk to him to not be marketing his product. And so, so you we had, were,
0: you were the sole marketer of that product. Yes. You, yeah. had, you had exclusive rights to it.
1: Yeah. We only do exclusive license. I'm not, I'm not trying to start something where I have competition. The whole reason is, is that I can control the market from, you know, the spawn of the product all the way through the, the final, you know, consumer.
0: Okay. That's a great distinction to, to kind of point out to the listeners is we're talking about an exclusive licensing agreement. We're not talking about a territorial agreement, meaning that, Hey, I I've got this product for the Western half of the United States or the Eastern half of the United States but your exclusive rights to marketing the product.
1: That's right. And I, okay. I think it would be very prohibitive to building a brand, which is sort of the way it goes. You know, you take your product and you bring it to market, but people have to call it something, right? And so you try to create a, a great product and then get it to build into a brand name. And then from that brand name, then you can branch out into other products once you've sort of pierced the veil of, of you know, becoming a household name. You know, early on, we were faced with this: how do we approach this license deal? And so we we were pretty on the same page as far as what the structure would be, the percentage that he would get, the amount would be annually minimum, and the basic uh, mechanics of it all. But we really didn't know how to put a legal agreement together. So he went and found him an attorney, and I went and found me an attorney just to protect their interests. Uh, but the reality is, is that the attorneys kind of have their own agenda. And uh, they immediately took us and uh, pulled our positions as far apart as they could and said, Hey, he's going to try to screw you here and he's going to try to screw you here. And this is, this is what you need to ask for. And his attorney telling him the same thing. And so we ended up in this long drawn out battle. It really was kind of a battle between the attorneys about how this thing would go. And the end result is we ended up back around the same. In fact, we both fired our attorneys at the end uh, after we had paid them between the two of us around $70,000 to try to get this agreement. And all we had was this draft agreement and me and him got together and understood it. And he was from Nicaragua originally and then uh, escaped uh, the Sandinista war to uh, New Orleans where he lived. And so I just went down there with him and we went line by line in his living room and figured this thing out until we were both comfortable with that it. it said what we meant and that we could both live up to it. And we, uh, we went down to Walmart and got it notarized. At the little bank inside of Walmart, and uh, and then we officially had a license deal, and that's how the first really deal ever went through. But it was a huge challenge, financially and you know even conceptually to say. And you know, I had an upfront payment to him of seventy thousand dollars, so I came in with a seventy thousand dollars cashier's check based on this agreement that we signed in Walmart. And you know, it was, it was a lot of faith and a lot of you know just put myself out there. I also you know resigned from my corporate job to do that. Um, I had a very secure, you know, work for the electric company. And my grandma, my grandmother was very proud of that, because he's like, you just got the most secure job ever, because everyone needs electricity. And security is everything, right. And she was not happy when I told her I was resigning from that job to start this, you know, fly by night company. But uh, as it turns out, it was a good idea. And it was the patents were pending at the time. So again, there was a additional risk that he would never even get issued patents. And I wasn't going to get the 70 K back. So it was a big risk. And my, my dad and I partnered on this and, and uh, yeah, but we went full tilt and we, you know, we had to change some designs. Another challenge was like the design he had was a little overbuilt. It was heavy and cumbersome and, and it was, there was bolts on top and pieces that swung off the ends. And we really needed it to boil it down both from a manufacturing cost and get it to be less expensive but to be uh, less weight for a trimmer so that smaller trimmers could handle uh, spinning this thing around. And so we actually then took his patent and, and made some improvements to it, handed them back to him, and then he filed those as additional revisions to the patent. And they came through in a way that it made it very efficient, easy to load the line in, and it was very lightweight. And more importantly, it's much more inexpensive to make, about 60 to 70% cheaper than the original design. And so now we had the, the margin room to then go to market at what was uh, around a $20 retail price. And that's where it needed to be. Uh, but before our cost of goods was around five to $6 and we took it down you know, around the two to $3 range. And that really made it viable because previous to that, it really wasn't gonna be viable.
0: That's super interesting. Let's go back to this this idea of, you mentioned your grandma was super proud of you at, at the electric company versus you starting your own business. And I think this is a quandary that, that a lot of people face. Do I, Get a secure job, like society tells me that I need to, and let's be honest, it's it's a false reality, right? Like right. The secure jobs are not; they're only secure until the company's like, hey, "I don't need you anymore," and then and then you're kind of like, "Oh, you know, what do I do?" So that that idea of, of getting a secure job versus the risk, if you will, of going out on your own in your mind when somebody's looking to to make that move or or somebody wants to make that move like what do you think the key qualities are that they need in order to mentally make that shift because it's it's a different mental game it, like it's completely different to show up to a job and do your very best versus open a company start a company and hit all the failures that are involved with that and still think that you're a good human being? Like, like, do you still have value <laughs> right. after you've been rejected thousands and thousands of times?
1: Well, I think that, you know, the first part of your question is around that, you know, the idea, like you said, a farce that, you know, there is such a thing as job security these days. You know, there used to be, you know, credit to my grand grandparents, you know, my, my grandfather worked for Phillips Petroleum for his entire career. Like that is the only job he ever had. Once he got into into that workforce, and that was the way it was, and companies really did take care of you, and they set up great pensions and matchings, and to this day, she still has health insurance through that company, but that world has changed, and it's no longer the case anymore. Here we are in the middle of the COVID crisis, and companies were very quick to just lay everyone off to survive. Uh, regardless, you know, and, and there's, you know, now there's millions of people out of work. Well, those people thought they had a secure job, yet all the entrepreneurs out there that are working from home or with their little startup company, they're going to see less of a hit because, you know, you probably weren't getting paid anyways. (laughs) Uh, It's one of those things. It's the illusion of security, right? So I think that, and then Robert Kiyosaki teaches us that too, you know, it's up to each one of us to create our own security. You want security? Great. I want security too. It's not that I don't want that for me and my for my family, but it's not up to your employer to provide that to you. Your employer is just going to you know, exchange your time for money. You need to find other ways to build your asset column and your income column in a ways that if you do have an unexpected downturn uh, or, or a gap in income that you have some sort of nest egg or some sort of other residual income that comes in. So that's where the security really comes in. And so it's, it's getting away from the mindset that was taught to us by the industrial age of, Hey, go to school, get a good job. And that job will provide the security that you need to provide for your family. It's just false uh, these days. And the people, even in the corporate world, the ones that I see getting ahead are the ones that move around a lot, you know, they're, they're constantly bouncing around between companies, different roles, different positions and, and taking risks. And those are the ones that get rewarded. And then, you know, as you approach entrepreneurship, everything is based upon, you know, your expectations. If you expect to show up, start a company, and then immediately start getting some income and then replace what, you know, your safe income was from your W-2 job, uh, well, that's probably not going to happen. It's going to take years for you to get to the point. And when I started the Love Handle company, uh, I went for the first three and a half years with zero pay. I worked here for free and I worked longer and harder than everyone else in the building. And I was busy hiring people and and not, not taking any income at all. But because I had exited another company and taken all of those resources and bought a bunch of rental properties, well, now I had monthly income coming in. And that allowed me to have that security that I needed to be able to get this thing up and off the ground. So expectations around what the reality is from a cash standpoint and how much it'll take to invest in an idea, it's always going to be more. And the amount, how quickly you're going to get it back is always going to be longer. Um, And if you kind of expect that from the beginning, then you're going to be much more prepared to succeed. Because a lot of times people will get into a little ways and some big challenges like that royalty agreement, or the next one after that, where, you know, materials broke down, and we had to throw away, you know, $50,000 worth of goods that were no good, like, things are going to happen. And your ability to to look past that challenge and know that those are coming in in the beginning and that you're going to have to get past it and push through it. And that Delta of time between when something quote unquote bad happens until you recover, that's ultimately the defining factor of success in entrepreneurship.
0: I mean, you, I mean, definitely to be a business owner, you've got to be resilient, right? Like you've got to be able to push through those barriers, but it's one thing to start out the journey saying, Hey, I'm going to hit some barriers and it's probably going to take me a little longer than I think it's going to take me. And I know there's going to be some struggles versus when you actually, let's say you're, you know, you talk about love handle being three and a half years without an income. Let's say, you know, once you're a year in, 18 months in, like when you hit those challenges, how do you mentally overcome those? How how do you say, yeah, I, I know I planned it out in the beginning, but now that I'm actually facing it, sometimes it's hard to to wrap our brains around seeing path or or seeing the light. Do you know right. what I mean? How do you approach that when you actually hit the wall?
1: That's a that's a great question, Nick. And you know, we all just hit a big wall recently with COVID. And 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 I was and I, I would love to say that I, I was perfect, right? That I was, I dealt with this seamlessly, and that you know I was closing our business was a was easy and no, I struggled and even mentally and like a really great internal turmoil. So I'm human too, but the reality is is that if you can look for the things that are working in your business, and and focus on those and how you can be better at those things, and truly understand the the value you're bringing to the world. Not understand that this is a profitable business or not a profitable business or whatever, but are you really bringing some value to the world? Uh, we even at the electric company, we used to talk about this because I was part of this culture change thing there, right? And I really, that was one of the things I enjoyed the most when I was there. And our communication was to help the team understand that, you know, you're not out there climbing poles and putting wire on. You're helping grandma keep warm on a cold night, right? You're helping light the little league field so that the kids can play in the evening when it gets dark early. Like, there's real things in life that you're helping, and with the weed eater company, you know, like I got, I really felt. I always t- kidded around that we were saving marriages, you know, because the guys are going out there and they get so frustrated with a weed eater, they're going to wrap it around the tree and come in and tear everything up in the living room, and who knows, right? So yeah, I've been
0: there. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. You know
1: the feeling. It's a super frustrating, and and so it, just the little things and understanding that your little contribution to the world is somehow making people's lives better. Well, that that really helps and, and getting through it say, okay, well, this challenge is here, but if a, if it was easy, everybody be doing it right. And, you know, or or it wouldn't feel as great when you got there, it wouldn't mean as much when you got there. So I think that if you can take pride in your ability to overcome obstacles, then it will become a lot easier to do so. And your attitude will be right. But if you, if you're like a poor me, like, sky is falling kind of person. If you're just naturally that way, I just, frankly, entrepreneurship is probably not for you because it's just going to be super painful to try to get through it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, when you think about it, really all the success is on the other side of failure, right? All the success is on the other side of fear. So as you look at your journey, like, let's talk about some of your biggest wins. I mean, we all, we've gone through struggles. You've talked about some of your struggles, but once you've pushed through those barriers, Talk, talk to us about some of your wins. What are some of the biggest wins or or some of the things that have excited you the most in your, in your journey?
1: Yeah. Well, recently we were super excited to get, um, invited by Walmart to bring our love handle phone grips to their, what they call their open call. It happened last summer. They reached out to us and said, Hey, we're trying to source more made in USA products for our stores. We believe in American products. And believe it or not, that goes way back to Sam Walton, you know, buy American. And so they really are trying to live up to that. Well, they invited us to come up to Bentonville and it was this big deal. Uh, we flew up there. They greeted us at the airport with a bunch of fanfare and registered there. And then we went in and they had some big, you know, large meetings and things like that. But eventually the reason we were there was to go pitch the buyer, the actual buyer, for the electronics section and his assistant buyer, as it turned out. It was a great amount of preparation that went into that, uh, both for years of packaging changes and design changes and branding and uh, celebrity collaborations and you know making deals with you know big names out there. But ultimately, it came down to that one moment in the room when uh, this pitch really came together beautifully. We had the right price. We had the right offering and the right moment in time. And the buyer turns around, looks at us, and says, I love it. I love everything about it. So I think this is a great idea. It's a great product. We don't have very many choices for American made in the electronics section. We want to make this a flagship of our program in Walmart. And they're the largest physical retailer wow. in the world. And so to have someone affirm that for us, we we walked out. They did an immediate interview with us in the hall. There was like literal parade. We had paraded us down through. They had associates lined on both sides of the hallway cheering us on. And we went in and did a press meeting. And it was just the most exciting, like fulfilling moment for me as an entrepreneur to say, this little idea that was a drawing and a little piece of plastic and elastic is now about to be on the shelves where people can really get it and they're going to love it. We know they're going to love it and it's going to take off. And because people just repurchase it, like we have an 85% reorder rate. So it's everybody, once they get it, they're going to come back. And so, but that one moment really stands out as it felt like a victory. And it felt like something that, that was accumulation of a lot of hard work and, and sort of the fulfillment of the American dream. That's awesome. So
0: have you guys hit Walmart stores yet or, or when When do you anticipate that happening?
1: Yep. Yeah, we're in Walmart right now. Um, it actually launched uh, March 6th. Which, but this year, uh, just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's awesome. a kind of a double-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's not that. Most people were running over to the food section and to yeah, yeah. health and beauty and getting safety items. And so it's been choppy coming out. And so I'm still praying that, you know, we, that the sales are good enough, that they'll give us some expansion. They are still, we got dialogues. We're talking about Q3, Q4. Sure. Um, But yeah, so it launched this year and it's in about 500 stores and it'll be in the electronic section if you find it. But, you know, we've got other retailers, Academy Sports that picked it up and they put it in all stores. Like they have around 300 stores. And even during COVID, our sales have been increasing. Um so that's great. That's amazing they reached out and they want to expand the line and it's a great example of like you get one item in and you can prove to a buyer that it's going to work. The next question is going to be what else do you got? Yeah. Right. So all those other ideas that you got on the side like we have a larger one for tablets and you know a mount for your boat and all kinds of stuff that we can now then hand over, right? But you got to start with that one winner and show them that you're a winning supplier.
0: And, and it's one of those deals is once you get one of those wins, like momentum builds upon itself, right? Yeah. So you get one of those wins and and now you go into other buyers, you'd be like, hey, we're in Walmart. Right. That's that's a that's a huge win for you and, and other buyers, whether they may or may not have listened to you at, up front, they will now. You know what I mean? Because you've got some wins under your belt. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. Let's talk a little bit about, I know you've done some deals with Damon John of Shark Tank. Let's talk about that a little bit. How did that come about? Give us the detail, the dirty details behind that. Because that, I mean, is everybody, everybody probably knows him and, or knows him and his name. So how did you get in front of him and, and, and what happened there?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it was, it's funny when, when, I don't know if you guys remember when Shark Tank first came out. Uh, It's been out quite a few years now, but it was so exciting around my house because, you know, I live and breathe entrepreneurship and for them to have a show on TV for people to bring their ideas and pitch it in front of a group of millionaires and billionaires in some cases that could then instantly say yes and then fund your idea and then offer some knowledge. It just seemed like destiny to me. And I'm a big goals guy. I have goals I review every day and and revise all the time. And one of my goals was Then now to go on Shark Tank, to do a deal with a shark. And I had a list of sharks that I wanted. My number one was Damon John. I was a big fan of him, what he stood for, his candor and honesty and humility to and hard work. So I was like, man, this is the guy I want. And so we uh, we auditioned. We were exhibiting at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas with the love handle. And they had an open call there at the event. And open, okay yeah so anybody that was there could then go audition for the for the shark tank and i was like great well we're going you know i was there at 4 a.m first in line you know and uh went in and we pitched the producers they just went the sharks there it was the producers and we pitched the producers and they loved it like we're like this is great you'll be hearing from us and sure enough two days later we got an email hey you're through the qualifying round you're into the second round uh, send us like, a, I think it was like a hundred page document that had to be filled out in blue ink. We fill all that out, make a video, we turn that in, send it in, and we wait about two weeks and they send us our letter back. Sorry, you didn't make the cut. Um, try again next year. And so I was just heartbroken. I figured that this was destiny. Like I was really going to make this happen. And so, but uh, we didn't, it didn't happen. But then the next year we were back at the same event, they had the same open call. We're like, oh, okay, so this is, I need to do it a second time, really show them up, you know. So we went the same process, unfortunately, the exact same result. But then that next week, I'm checking my own website, and this is a credit to getting in the weeds and staying in the weeds as an entrepreneur and, and really watching what's going on in the heartbeat of your business. I was watching my website on sh- my Shopify site, and I see an order come across from the Shark Group. And I'm like, that's... Oh. So they deny you, but they're ordering your product. They're ordering my product. Yeah. <laughs> so I look, looked it up. I was like, that's Damon John's company ordering my product from my website. That's cool. Yeah. And so maybe I've been, it was a phone number on the order. I just picked up the call, you know, phone. I called. I was like, Hey, I'm calling for Damon. And they're like, Oh uh, yeah, no, you can't talk to Damon. Uh, who is this? And I told him you guys are ordering my product. I'm a big fan. And da, da, da. Well, next thing you know, i start building relationships with the, his network, right? his assistant and all the uh-huh. people in his office. And, and, and this is the, like, if somebody wants, if you want to go after somebody big like this, this is how you do it. You got to add value to them. And you, you can do that first by adding value to the people around them in some way. Right. So for me, it was to give a lot of free product to them. And then when he released his power of broke book, I've made a whole bunch of them custom printed with his power of broke logo on it made some custom cards for him to promote and give away at his book signings and sent them by the thousands to his office. And so he was starting to see the, you know, the hustle and grind for me along with the value of the product itself. And sure enough, it was three months later, the phone rings and it's Damon and his team saying, hey, man, Mike, we really express, you know, respect what you're doing and, and we really appreciate all the free product and, and we, we really like to, to work with y'all i don't really do this i only do pretty much do deals on a tank but man i i think this is a good idea and i think you're you're a great entrepreneur so let's do a deal and uh i actually turned him down the first time because he had told me that he he didn't want to do it because i immediately went into pitch mode okay well my valuation is like four million <laughs> and uh so ten percent be four hundred thousand he's like look man what are hold on hold on hold on hold on just a minute like I'm really not talking about cash here. Like I can bring you value in other ways. And I'm like, dude, I got millions of dollars invested in this idea now. So I can't just give you a piece of the company. So I walked away a couple months later. He calls me back and was like, Hey, let's take a look at this again. Like what if I can prove to you that I can bring the value? I was like, well, let's, let's see. What are we talking about? And he's like, well, how about if I can double your sales in 24 months? Like things that I do will double your sales would, if we grow the pie, would that be good? Would that be acceptable to give me a piece of equity? And then we can be partners. I was like, you know what? Yeah. If you can double my sales, why not? There's more pie there. And then you could really grow. If you could really got that much horsepower, then go for it. So he puts me on good morning, America, puts me on today's show, puts me on uh, home shopping network. And so short story is six months, it took him six months to to double my sales. Uh, so that's how he earned his way into being a partner. And now we're DMD products as our parent company with Dave's my dad, I'm Mike, and then Damon John. So hey,
0: That's awesome. That's a, that's such a great story and, and just the, proves the power of entrepreneurship, Re- really just trying to take your idea to the market and add value to the market. It, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's not always about the profit, which I mean, we've got to make money, right? We sure. all want to make a lot of money and that's awesome. But really, being in business is about bringing value to people's lives, right? And then, as you talked about playing the game, the game's fun to play. Yeah. If you like strategy and you like hustle, business is the best game to to play out there. So, I've loved your story. I think it's awesome. Tell the listeners how can they get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you and connect with you. If they want, you know, to look at your product and and I know your product. They can actually uh, business owners can promo their logos on your product. Correct?
1: That, yeah, that's right. It's been a it's been amazing to see how many brands, literally thousands of brands, household names and small names, that will, will put their logo. Because ultimately today the, the the smartphone is a walk in billboard. It sure. goes everywhere, right? And it's at every dinner table and across every conference. That's how I look at my teenagers. Right? Is You know, I can see their eyes sticking up over the top of their phone. And so it's just turned out like there's no big master plan of mine. It just worked out that our ability to customize these in 100 percent in the USA and small batch has been a, a huge asset for us. And customers are really getting the value. So let's say you got a business, you want to promote it. We put your logo on here and we'll mount it to your business. We'll print your business card too and it's stuck to your business card. So next meeting, you give your business card out, but it has a gift on the back of it. And it's a gift that they're going to touch every single day and they're going to remember it and it's going to make it so much easier to use their phone and they're going to really appreciate that. And that's why our reorder rates over 85%. We were ranked the number one promo product last year because it delivers on the goals that these marketers have, which is to create conversation around their brand and to create memorability around their brand and to get that extended messaging on a card, whether it's a phone number or QR code or whatever. So it's like a, like a marketing superpower and and, you know, all I can be ordered at lovehandle.com, but I just encourage people to, to think about how your product will add value, not just to the end user, but to maybe someone else who might be able to use your product in some way to bring value to their business. Right. So there's a lot of different ways to do that. But if anybody wants to reach out to me, I, I try to be an open book. Um, I do a lot of podcasts because I really feel like this journey that I've been on might inspire someone out there that that might catch sort of the glimmer of hope or encouragement when they need it. Maybe they're going through a downtime right now. Uh, so I, you know, reach out to me. I'm at Mike Watts on Instagram, and so you can reach out to me. Do send me a DM and follow me there? But I'm on LinkedIn a lot too, so just look up Mike Watts and love handle you'll find me there too and glad to help if anybody has any questions out there
0: awesome mike hey thanks for joining us this has been super fantastic and and definitely inspiring to not only me but uh, to our listeners for sure so hey everybody thank you for joining us on this episode we will see you next time and have a great week see you if you want to learn more about me you can visit my website at www.nicholascjensen.com or follow me on facebook instagram or twitter at Nicholas Jensen underscore. That's at Nicholas Jensen underscore. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform because you do not want to miss out. We'll see you next time on Unlimited Wealth.